back to Star Wars Escape Pod. I'm your host, Josh, and we have our co-host Blake returning this week to chat all about The Rising Storm, which is the latest second sequel to, well, it's actually the, the first sequel, but the second official Del Rey novel in the High Republic storyline, written by Kevin Scott. This book came out about a month and a half ago now. It's taken us a little while to get through it, and we're going to dive headfirst into this into this book and uh, chat about the second wave from the first phase of the High Republic Initiative, as well as all about this new KOTOR remake. Let's do it. Another happy landing. Peace is a lie. That is what the Sith believe. They promised power. Now they wield it. We face the greatest Sith in generations. They must be stopped. That was the trailer for the newly announced remake of Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic for the PlayStation gaming uh, reveal. Uh, welcome back, Blake. What do you think Hello of this there. KOTOR I, remake? It's what I've been wanting since we heard that Disney <laughs> bought uh, Lucasfilm and EA was yeah. making games. I'm like, EA owns Bioware. Bioware made KOTOR. We're going to get KOTOR. And that was like 12 years ago yeah <laughs> you know between between uh the more recent news about ea no longer holding a star wars exclusive license and uh and then this kotor news uh as well as a lot of the content that we've been getting uh from disney plus like the mandalorian etc they're they're definitely doing better uh, after a decade of disappointment <laughs> shall we say <laughs> i don't know it's crazy to think that ea this massive conglomerate corporation who owns what like tens like maybe like 30 different stu- game studios at this point yeah over a lot over the the lifespan of the contract which was like eight eight to ten years put out like three games yeah it was it's, it was, it was brutal it's insane brutal. like 
how many okay from i want to know listen the actual math of this from when ea got the contract till now how many assassin's creed games came out <laughs> assassin's creed yeah just ubisoft assassin's creed because they, they pump those things out man that's uh that's a good question because that's just uh, one studio me- yeah, let's let's look this up because I'm curious. Yeah, because this is because this is their stuff too, right? No, Ubi, oh, no, Ubisoft is a different. Sorry, different studio. Yeah, that's, not that, that's Activision. You. I'm thinking of yeah, I'm thinking of a different one. So, um, okay, so in the franchise, ever since uh, the purchase of well, let's say 2013 for like the uh, the end, I guess of uh, of the Lucasfilm kind of independent era and the disney era which is when the paperwork finalized uh there's been one two three four five six seven assassin's creed games that's more than the star wars uh, games (laughs) those are the staple games and then there's been eight spinoffs like smaller smaller spinoffs whether it's mobile or or console um so a lot <laughs> it's yeah. been a lot and uh way more than star wars i mean ea primarily they put out four staple games which yeah. was battlefront battlefront 2 jedi fallen order and then star wars squadrons that was their their main slate not to mention the all the dlc that the older public has been providing over the years uh anything else i mean there's been a couple mobile games i guess uh, galaxy of heroes uh that's that's it it's okay. crazy honestly like the yeah. ea owns so many companies if each company put out one game so like from the moment they started till now we would have like 20 or 30 games like but i know they canceled probably just as many games that were would have matched activision's uh, assassin's creed but yeah i don't know what a mess no it's it's a crying shame and and you know and 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 more recently uh, I know there's been a lot of news about uh, S Buyer and and you know a studio like that. There's been the resurrection, of course, of Star Wars Pod Racer, which relaunched as uh, an I'm HD excited for that version on on Star yeah on Nintendo Switch. It came out as a relaunch game as well as uh, Republic Commando. I believe that was also coming out as a a relaunch on Nintendo Switch. So it's almost like they're taking these older games that people actually do love and kind of relaunching them exclusively on various consoles i mean it makes sense like yeah because those are games that people actually like and like a lot of right yeah exactly exactly and and now finally uh we have uh, bioware taking kotor which is one of the most uh, i guess one of the most respected games in the in the gaming community and uh they're relaunching that on PlayStation 5. So, you know, anyone who has a PlayStation 5 is going to be very uh, happy that this game is is coming out on uh, on your platform. So anyone with a PC, I believe this game is, uh, it, it may or may not come out. They haven't really confirmed, as far as I know, whether or not this will be launched on PC as well. Uh, if it does, however, I'm going to be, uh, I'm definitely going to be picking that up because I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a console gamer necessarily, and I don't really want to buy a PlayStation just to play one game as much as I love the Spider-Man games. And I know they announced two of those uh, today. They announced a Wolverine game and a, and a, a second Spider-Man game. So you know, a lot of cool stuff coming out on the PlayStation platform as far as franchises that I'm really fond of. But uh, I don't know if it's enough for me to actually go out and you know drop 
600 bucks on a on a console so well it's weird to me that it's only on playstation 5 because it was originally created to be a pc game and then was yeah. modified to be on x original xbox and a lot of people bought xbox to play this game because it was the first star wars role-playing game that's you know, yeah. pretty open world to be made especially on the new consoles because really before that it was just side scrollers mm-hmm yeah, it, it goes hand in hand, I guess, with uh, the the initiative that, like what I was saying earlier, with with Pod Racer and Republic Commando being relaunched on Switch, um, it, it feels like they're taking these old games and these old titles, re refreshing them somehow. This one, putting obviously they're putting the most work into this one, but uh, but refreshing them and relaunching them exclu- on an exclusive platform. Uh, I hope that's not the case for this one, because like you, I'm really uh, I'm very much a PC gamer, preferably. So, uh, you know, I, I hope that they they do end up, I guess, maybe a delayed release at least. Yeah. But but Lucasfilm yeah. has been known to do this. I still haven't played Star Wars Bounty Hunter because it was only on PS2. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Actually, that was that was a uh, console exclusive license. I, I still haven't played. I, I used to have a PlayStation 2, but just never owned the game. And right. still haven't played it. Uh, a buddy of mine had it, uh, and uh, I kind of played a few minutes of it on his console, but it, it, it wasn't like it wasn't anything extensive. So, man, um, I want to play that one. Looks good. But back on Kotor, so yeah. I'm wondering what they're gonna do to update it because I'm a huge fan of Kotor, but I played it back in the day, and if you've ever played it, it is a very old school mechanic system where it's turn based. So it's actually, yeah. it runs more like a Pokemon game than a console game. <laughs> right. It's like right. you pause time, you pick what attack you want, and then you unpause time, and then you and the other guy both do like whatever action. And then you pause time again, you pick what you want to do. It's very slow paced. And it's, it's based on D&D, right? Like Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. where you would pick what attack, you would roll your dice, you see if you hit, you roll for damage. And all this yeah. based on mechanical stats, which are exactly the same as this game. Yeah, the and the MMO uh, Star Wars: The Old Republic works a lot more fast-paced, where you're yeah. just constantly clicking keyboard, you know, buttons yeah. to activate <laughs> all your different powers and everything like that. And like all MMOs, based yeah. which are all just based on World of Warcraft. Now you have a bunch of right. different buttons. You choose where you want them. You can keybind them to different buttons on your keyboard and you just keep mashing that button until, and it works on like a one second global cooldown. Yeah. 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 Very typical hack and slash run around, you know, another, and there's a lot more combat be, I guess, because of that, it's so easy to put, you know, little but, fights here and there. But that's the thing. Like those are all PC games. So you have a keyboard to bind all of your different attacks. So right. if this is on PlayStation. I don't know how they're going to get around, the time stop, which is what they had to do for Xbox. Right. Yeah. And and it, it does pose a series of questions. Um, I know the PlayStation does have that touchpad built into the controller and, and that could possibly unlock a bit of more a bit more potential as as far as, um, you know, different little menus and stuff that you can swipe up and flick over to different things. And I know they did that with uh, with the Spider-Man game. And uh, that touchpad basically acted as your controller for his mobile cell phone and whatever gadget he was carrying. And you could flip through the different screens and everything like that. So it was um, it was kind of, it's kind of a shame because I emulated that game on PlayStation, uh, the PlayStation streaming service. They put Spider-Man up there for like two months or something. So I subscribed for a month just to play the game. 
and on PC, but I was doing it with an Xbox controller. And when it came time to, in the tutorial, you had to press this touchpad to get this thing open. I wasn't <laughs> able to do it. So I had to download like a hack, which basically turns the select button on the controller of the Xbox controller into the touchpad activation thing, because you actually, you don't, you didn't need to swipe through these things. You All you had to do is swipe up on the touchpad. That's it. Just to unlock mm. the menu. That's all you need. So it basically unlocked the menu for you. And then you could use the, uh, the sticks to navigate through what you needed, which was fine. Slight but oversight it, on Sony's part there. Yeah. It was such an oversight. And I, and I was like, this is, this sucks. Like there's no way I'm buying a controller just to play on the streaming service that I'm already paying for, like for a month, right? So, uh, you know, Sony, Sony reminds me a lot of Apple, like it, not very compatible with stuff. <laughs> so I don't know. I always I, thought that was Nintendo. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Nintendo is very much like that too. I mean, very much kind of in their own little bubble, but yeah, they're all um, like that now. Whereas like Xbox, like, yeah. And Xbox being a windows or Microsoft product, there's so many games that you can buy on both platforms now, but play, uh, players who've always owned a, a PlayStation who have a windows PC can now buy halo the Master Chief Collection on their computer. And, you know, that's a, a really big perk because not only is it cross compatible with Xbox consoles, but uh, you have the advantage of these HD refreshed versions of these legacy Xbox exclusive games, right? Uh, well, the issue only with one that, that is about time because they, they released yeah. the original Halo, Combat Evolved, in 2000, 2001, I think. Yeah. They released that on PC. Yeah. And then they yeah. didn't release anything else. <laughs> right, right. And uh, uh, yeah, it was PC and, and the original Xbox and, and then everything else after that, I guess they, they wanted to push the console game. So exclusive kind of became a thing. And today they're like basically what holds PlayStation in the lead for, for number one console on the market. I mean, you know, you can hardly even find one in a store. Um, so, I mean... Not that I'm like, okay, personally, I prefer the feel of an Xbox controller, but I've never really been like Xbox is better kind of thing. Like, I, you know, I just, I, I don't really care. Like I, I, I prefer gaming on PC. I love doing stuff in VR. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm very much away from the whole console game at this point. And all I, all I know is exclusives can be very annoying. So this whole KOTOR thing to get back to that label, the fact that it's a PlayStation 5 uh, exclusive. I hope it's temporary. I really hope it's temporary because I know there's a lot of fans out there who are Star Wars fans who love Star Wars so much. And this will be, aside from the refreshed versions of the Switch versions of Pod Racer and, and Republic Commando, this is kind of like way more money went into this. You can totally tell. Like they've made a, a whole new trailer and everything like that. It, it looks like it's going to be like the base code might be similar but everything's going to be like new, right? And That's as far why as like the, I'm curious if they're going to change the combat stuff because the yeah. company that made it, the next game they made was Mass Effect. And so Mass Effect right. was based on the KOTOR engine. So they still had like stats and stuff, but they modified it so it wasn't turn-based anymore. I think you could still do that for some of the abilities. Like you still could like switch through, kind of had the toggle system, but it was like live interactive shooter as well yeah so I'm hoping they do something like that i know it gets trickier with like lightsabers so like maybe start it does yeah feeling more like 
just hacking the X button, the yeah, X button like or whatever Jedi, to like, swing, but right, like Jedi Fallen Order or something like that, right? Yeah, like, uh, yeah. It's tough to say what what they will do uh, as far as giving this game a makeover, uh, but the fact that remake is in the title of this game tells me that it's like they the spirit of the game will be there, the story will all be there, but maybe even expanded maybe if there's segments of the game that they never uh uh that they never uh, finished before they they'll be able to uh to put that in finish the game you know make it as if it was like came out today on next gen consoles mm-hmm. like, there's a reason why this is a playstation 5 thing and the fact that they haven't said this is coming out on our last platform like playstation 4 this is going to utilize next gen graphics so that'll be super cool my Um, only yeah my imagination points towards a whole like overhaul because without even knowing this trailer is coming out or announcement i've actually been replaying kotor (laughs) just because it's a good game (laughs) right yeah so i i'm past terrace which is the beginning planet it's like the longest i uh, i went to the dead tween got my jedi training Finished Tatooine no, uh, on Kashyyyk. So I'm roughly halfway into the game, like maybe maybe a third, third to halfway. And this trailer comes out. So I'm like, man, like this is, this is like Destiny. <laughs> Destiny? Yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Mind you, you've been playing that game constantly for nearly 12 years since the uh, license got bought. So. <laughs> I played it once a year. Yeah, Just once saying. a year. Yeah. yeah, but I I know a lot of the cheats and glitches now, so you can like, you can rush through it. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, so those cheats and glitches. It, you can make it can, easier. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, or you can be sure in the new version that those cheats and glitches are going to be gone. Yeah, they're not going to work. I mean, no. Yeah, I remember yeah. playing it. One, my, one of my favorites, uh, bugs you can use. You got you to time it right. But right as you become a Jedi, you can actually uh use a bug to make all of your companions Jedi. So you can have jet, uh, you can have Zalbar <laughs> and mission and you can have Karth. Like the, your entire crew can just all be Jedi. So you they're know, all just like, really powerful. There's a thing about these refreshed games or these remakes, I guess you could call them, uh, is that as much as they are loved and respected by, you know, people like us, you know, who like I've got the CD-ROM from like back then. Right. And, uh, and, and, you know, they're, they're loved for a reason. And these hacks and glitches kind of add to the character of the game. Yeah, and I think so too. A reason why you love it. So as cool as it is to be like, dude, there's a remake coming. It's going to be awesome. It's got like next-gen graphics, all this stuff. It's going to be like, you know, all this deleted stuff that they couldn't put in the final build is going to be in there and this and that, whatever. Uh, there's always going to be an element that feels missing to it. And that's the fact that the original was is still and always going to be the original. Yeah, that's true. And I don't know to add to that like bugs that aren't game breaking i think they should just leave in because you know, the problem nowadays because everything's connected to the internet they just every time something's discovered they just patch it and i hate right. that yeah like yeah, a week it, later it's gone <laughs> yeah like yeah. i don't know it's fun like to me uh even uh, this was like the beginning of patches and stuff but you can still get away with some of the bugs so like in skyrim everyone's played that game it's been around forever if you there's a bug, you if you t- if you do it in the right order, you can become both a werewolf and a vampire lord. You can have both. 
which you're not supposed to be able to because when you get one, it makes you immune to the other. But if you like bug it just right, you can have both. Stuff like nice. that. It's, like, it's fun because you can kind of be like an underworld yeah. sort of thing. But yeah. Yeah, there's no hope of that. Even even especially on a console, right? Like where that you was can't on console. download. It's like, oh, that was on console. Oh wow, yeah, okay. No, but like yeah. this game came out in 20, 2011, 2012, right? Sky, when it first came mean. out. Yeah. 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 I was doing this bug in like 20, 2012, 2013, I think. Oh, okay. All right. But the point well, I'm getting right. at is nowadays they patch stuff so fast. They do, yeah, and 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 uh, that's not to say that um, that it's any excuse for them to release an incomplete game because I know that's a very pressing no, issue in today's industry. No, that's what I'm saying. There's a difference yeah. between a bug that makes it so you can't play the game, and a bug that adds a gimmick that's a little yeah. bit ch- cheaty, but you have the choice to do it or not. Right. Yeah. Like a like a non intrusive bug. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, right. Those yeah, are welcome. Exactly. <laughs> All right, let's dive into this. One (laughs) last thing, because to me, that's like playing the old Nintendo games or Sega and you like get the cheat code. Like it's kind of the same idea, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember doing that. And, and, you know, on the Game Boy games that I used to play uh, Star Wars, the droid, the, the, uh, the droid factory game uh, with Anakin Skywalker that takes place after episode two, non-canon story, of course, at this point, really cool game though. That had cheat codes as well to jump to levels and stuff that you know you wouldn't need to manually walk to all the time and it was it was pretty sweet i was able to when that when i discovered the internet had codes yeah. out there for this game because i was like where on earth do these codes exist right yeah. and then when i figured it yeah. out i was like no way like this forum was just pure gold and then i typed in the codes like it works <laughs> just the magic of like something like that right and I yeah, was, anyone I, out there smiling at a, at a similar memory you know we, we Man, back, back in the day when you had to like get xbox magazine or nintendo magazine <laughs> to get all that stuff <laughs> oh totally totally uh, and recently i'm not gonna say how or ethically but i acquired every single star wars insider dating back to 1987 on digital form and <laughs> and i i'm actually looking forward to rifling through these older ones and seeing kind of what kind of golden contents in there that um uh, you know, maybe uh, I, I, I missed because the first insider copy that I owned was from, I think it was from 2004 or something like that. It was a while ago, but I didn't realize just how long that this issue, this magazine has been published for. Like, I didn't realize the first issue was published in 1987, celebrating Star Wars A New Hope's 10th anniversary. And the front of the cover is uh, R2 and 3PO holding a birthday cake with 10 candles on it. Hmm. And uh, at the time, it was called the Lucasfilm Fan Club magazine. Uh, And it ran for 22 issues before it was relabeled as Star Wars Insider. So um, pretty crazy. I don't know, just fun fact there. They're collectible now. I bet, yeah. If anyone has the the physical copies of these old Lucasfilm magazines especially the not like the the star wars insider was relabeled for issue number 23 onwards and now we're on issue number like 204 is the latest one on the on the shelf but uh but if anyone out there owns one of those first 22 issues i'm sure it's probably worth something uh in the right hands so um got something good there Let's uh, let's dive into this book here. Uh, I know uh, Kotor we could chat about all night. It's one of the f- fan favorite games of all time. Well, but I was, uh, I was playing it up to the point where we started the podcast. So, 
Right. (laughs) (laughs) The biggest Star Wars publishing event of all time begins a bold new chapter. In an age of peace and unity, Jedi allies protect the Republic as worlds align in celebration, but they face a battle on two fronts. A monstrous terror that consumes all in its path and vengeful marauders ready to strike back. The Knights of the High Republic must defend against these merciless enemies. The Jedi will be tested in this pivotal moment in the High Republic as the epic saga continues. Right, so uh, Star Wars: The High or The High Republic: The Rising Storm. This is a direct sequel to Light of the Jedi, which we had an extensive review, and uh, this one's not nearly going to be as long. Uh, mostly because I think that episode was like nearing three hours or something like that, and oh, wow. it's, it's it's it was a long one. That's all I remember. And uh, I remember I remember Bryce. He he read that one with us and reviewed it with us in that episode. And and at the when we were finished the recording, he's like, "Dude, that was long." And I was like, split "Yeah, um, yeah." I think that was the recommendation. I just dumped it all in one episode. But um, dang, you know, no it was the, do it. It, it, it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was the uh, the first, uh, you know, is the beginning of a new era, right? So, you know, there's a lot to to kind of ch- chat about, you know, everything from the designs of the ships all the way down to the designs of the weapons and everything that kind of goes with that. Uh, so there's a lot less to go on here now that we've already got most of that out of the way. Uh, but I agree uh, with that. before we get too into the book, I just want to say that I love that that trailer sounded like a Lego Star Wars ad from like 2003. <laughs> Do you remember with those? The deep voice. Yeah, I, I, I vaguely <laughs> yeah. remember what you're talking and about. And people like playing with like Lego ships and like flying over your bed. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, and you can see the little the kid's hand on the yeah. back of the. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The same narrator. Right. Yeah, I totally remember those. They don't do those anymore. No, they um, don't, which is disappointing. It's, it's I love those bad. ads. Yeah. Should dig it's, up some of those old tra- We should we'll do a podcast episode just reminiscing over these old like old trailers and like, you know, stuff that just got us amped up about stuff, you know. That's how you know we're old. Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> we're 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 fans that grew up in the prequel era. I mean, like it's it's tough to I don't know what the demographic of our audience is. But I'd be willing to bet that maybe half of our listeners could potentially be, you know, people who grew up with the sequels as their Star Wars movies. We also grew hand, up with the digital releases of, of the original yeah. trilogy in the 90s. I still remember the ads for the right. toys for that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, uh, a coworker of ours, uh, um, a friend of ours from from a previous employer uh, had at one point given me uh, this uh, poster. He used to work in a video store back in the, the 90s. And uh, he gave me his poster of the Star Wars special edition VHS releases. And is that the giant like poster cardboard thing? Yeah, it's a bit rad, a bit, you know, torn up a little bit. There was some dents and it was peeling and stuff. So I don't I don't actually know if I ended up keeping that or not because it was just in bad condition. But 
uh, it was cool. And, uh, you know, I, I kept it in the movie room for a little while and, you know, it was, it was nice and it relic of the past, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's pretty Of course, sweet. Now, nowadays, uh, if you ask anyone who was born uh, past the year 2005, they're not even going to know what a VHS is. Yeah. So. Dude, growing up, <laughs> yeah. I had a VHS recording that recorded Yogi Bear Easter on cable. <laughs> and it still had all the ads because it was just a straight rip nice. on the VHS. Oh, and yeah. The ads were Taco Bell and the 90s uh, re-release special editions of Star Wars toys. So I would re-watch this recording of Yogi Bear Easter like every year, sometimes multiple times because I thought it was really great for some reason. So I just rewatched yeah. these ads of the old Star Wars toys for original trilogy. Oh, that's, that's awesome. It that, was like, pretty sweet. That, was it the, the power of the Force uh, action figure lineup? Or, or what kind of Star Wars I remember was specifically it? it was for Empire Strikes Back. So it was like a s- snow speeder and then there was like AT-AT. It for was the action in, figures, right? Yeah, like the 90s toys. So it was yeah. kind of styled after the old 70s, 80s toys, but just new right. molds. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's cool. That's pretty awesome. I wonder if that exists on YouTube somewhere. Otherwise, you might have a, you might have a you might have a golden egg in there. You know, you have to you have to transfer that to digital and upload it for the Oh man, it's to gonna see. be rough, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. The old, ta- the old Taco Bell ads with the cat yeah, and the dog. Yeah. Taco Bell, so dong. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so this book. Let's just, I guess, let, might as well just start off with the summary or the publisher summary, and then we can chat about our thoughts here and get into the details. So, in the wake of the great disaster and the heroism of the Jedi, the Republic continues to grow, bringing more worlds together under a single unified banner. Led by Chancellor Lena So, the spirit of unity extends throughout the galaxy, with the Jedi and newly established Starlight Beacon Station at the Vanguard. In celebration, the Chancellor plans the Republic Fair, a showcase of the possibility and peace of the expanding Republic, a precept the Jedi hope to foster. Stellan Geos, Bel Zedifar, Elzar Man, and others join the event as ambassadors of harmony. But as the eyes of the galaxy turn toward the fair, so too does the fury of the Nihil. Their leader, Marchion Roe, is intent on destroying this spirit of unity. His storm descends on the pageantry and celebration, sowing chaos and exacting revenge. As the Jedi struggle to curb the carnage of the rampaging Nihil, they come face to face with the true fear their enemy plans to unleash across the galaxy. The kind of fear that even the Force cannot shield them from. So there's a a lot to digest here, but I'm just going to say it off the bat. The first half of this book was boring. Oh, it was Um, awful. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, this book... Uh, ironically enough, in contrast to me saying that, has been getting really good reviews, and and people have been saying what a uh, what a fantastic book this is, and how it kept them on the edge of their seat like the entire time. Uh, I'm just going to be straight up about this. When the first half of the book was talking about a fair, it didn't have I, the villains <laughs> practically. I at don't all. know. I, I know, I know. It's, I'm just going to say it straight up. Just for anyone who wants the honest opinion of, of both of us here, uh, we've both listened to it or, or read it. Uh, and the first 50% on my e-reader, it wasn't until I hit 53% that things started to get interesting. And the first half of the book is like the planning of the Republic Fair. A lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of buildup. 
and not build yeah. up in an interesting way. Like there's build up that's intense and there's build up that's just not interesting. And I didn't feel engaged enough to enjoy the first half of this novel. It was also like, very it was, long, like way yeah. longer than Light of the Jedi. It felt like. <laughs> I felt like they spent most of the book just describing the fair for like 50 chapters. <laughs> and it just kept going on and on. I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to do like a world fair, right? I think it was like a 19th century world fair, like I traveled around. And the idea is cool, but to me... Unless you're going to do a murder mystery like Sherlock Holmes style, it's just a not it's just not an interesting setting. The Republic Fair is how do you describe it? It's just a way to kind of show the outer rim that the Republic is for everyone kind of thing. It's it's like a political statement. Yeah, it's yeah, like it was it's rem, it's based on the world's fair, same as what we had here in the 19th century, which was, in this case, different planets, but on Earth, it was like different countries and stuff, all getting together and like kind of showing the culture of all the different environments, different peoples, try to get exposure to everyone. You could see like, oh, you want to visit this place or planet, that sort of thing. And it's a celebration. And this is a big thing. Thank you know, you're thankful to a, to have read it. Because in the audiobook that I did, Audible, they all this the song, for example, that they sing in there, they actually sung it, and it was terrible. <laughs> so this, the, I just want to say the audio, the recording, like it is the cringiest song I have heard in a long time. Um, I got to say the one thing I found interesting about the, at least the start was uh, in chapter eight, there was like a little, a little quote. Uh, I forget who it was from, but, uh, oh, here, actually, I, I think I, I have it saved. So, uh, uh, Stellan Geos, I believe, said this. Uh, we have seen a drop in Nihil activity in the last few months, especially in the system surrounding Valo. We believe those strike forces still in operation and were mere remnants of the main fleet we engaged in the Kerr Nebula nearly a year ago. Um, so the in Light of the Jedi, there's that big battle with the the Nihil, and at the very end, Cassiv, one of the Tempest Runners of the of the Nihil, perishes with his whole uh, storm. Um, and uh, I, I think that the Jedi I think because a couple months have gone by and Marchion Roa hasn't really struck, uh, you know, any any new. Uh, attack or anything on the Republic. So they would think like, oh, maybe that was the last of them, right? The, so it's safe to have the Republic fair again, right? And some people are torn about that, but the mm -hmm. chancellor is like, no, it's totally fine. Like we can have this fair and we're going to do it anyways. And it'll, it'll all be good. And, we should quickly know, share what the what structure is for the Nihil because the boarding is kind of confusing. So a Tempest right. runner is like a, a fleet captain or ship captain. Yeah. And they're, group uh is it cloud or storm <laughs> oh oh sorry yeah so uh i guess i think it's their yeah i think it's their cloud okay yeah and then so like their immediate stuff would be the cloud and then so then the next one up so i'd be like their squad and then like the battalion would be their storm the storm yeah something like okay. that uh and then the leader of everything is is the eye which is Marchion Rowe. And uh, well, it's supposed to be like a triad. 
Yeah, he kind of takes leadership and the Tempest runners aren't too happy about that. So the other thing I was going to mention about the beginning of this book is uh, his leadership is in question. And uh, Lorna D and Pan Eta, who is both two of the three Tempest runners uh, uh, under Marcion Rowe, attempt a coup against him. And they kind of fail uh, through, through the course of the book to kind of undermine his leadership. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't work out well for them. Well, so. I was kind of set up for the storms, uh, like the, or the Tempest Runners, all of it together. is It's strength conquers all. So you can challenge, essentially, to move your way up. Like So if you're the, the best warrior, you're the leader, right? You, so people, yeah. they would, you would kill the leader and you assume the position of the leader. It's a very right. dog-eat-dog system. But then yeah. Mar- Marquion Rowe, he's kind of off to the side, not really involved in that because he he knows, uh, he has the advantage of knowing these different routes and stuff that allow them to have the advantage that they, that they do. In the last book, I think at the end, he claims rule over all of it as opposed to them all having yeah. equal share of power. Uh, yep. And in this one, the three uh, Tempest Runners that we brought up, they, you know, it's a doggy dog warrior system. So they want this Mark and Rowe has taken leadership. They want to overthrow him. And so yeah. the guy who the book, the guy who the book really follows closest pan, he's kind of a tough meatheaded guy and thinks, Oh, I'm, I'm the best. I'm the strongest. Yeah. He's so pretty he, bitter. He, yeah. And so he's especially bitter more than the other two, uh, Tempest runners against Mark Young because he thinks he's he deserves to be the leader. So it's ends up being these warriors who are fight first, ask questions later. You fight for what you earn. He's trying to overthrow the guy who is just always one step ahead because he's the clever one who's Markion. So that's kind of the dynamic that's going on amongst them. Yeah. Um, I should mention, if I didn't before, this is a a spoiler-centric review. So anyone who's interested in learning all about this book and not reading it, you're in the right place. (laughs) Um, There's one one other thing about uh, Marcion Rowe, which which I thought was, for the course of the book, this kind of extends through his arc. Uh, Since he's claimed leadership over the Nihil, He's had this obsession with completing a task that his father could never finish, uh, who had a bit of an objective to, uh, uh, he was very into relics and things of the past and whatever else. There's a creature apparently, or a beast, also known as a weapon through the course of the book, uh, which uh, is referred to as the leveler. And uh, it's this ancient beast apparently that has a very negative effect on force users. And uh, Marjion Rose actually after this creature in order to control it and use it as a weapon against the Jedi, which, um, spoiler again, by the end of the book, he, he manages to succeed in this mission where his father never could. Uh, that was one of the more interesting things about this novel. I thought this was kind of playing into uh, this. It's a, Star Wars is always very much about the creatures and and you know ever since ever ever since the original films, the movies have always had this thing with animals. Like it, there's always like a alien creature or beast or whatever coming out and trying to eat somebody or whatever, right? It's there's always something like that. 
and this book was no different. It, it, it very much embraced that side of Star Wars lore and, and just kind of took it in. And um, it, it, the first thing I thought of when uh, I heard the description of this, this leveler beast was uh, that uh, the lizard thing or whatever that Thrawn uses in the expanded universe novels yeah. uh, to uh, block force powers, right? Like these lizards me, have a way of repelling the force. To me in the book, that's what it was. It was basically yeah. just a rehash of that because they, I don't think it affects their minds. I think that's just what we gathered from the character who was affected by it because yeah. He's a race of this bird species who they're all tied to the force and they they use, they don't actively use the force like a Jedi, but they subconsciously use it for navigation and a slight level of uh, seeing into the future for defensive purposes. So they're always like, yeah. they're, they have a quick reaction time, essentially. And what happens in the book is Markeon... And this bird creature, they kind of go down to the tunnels or whatever. And then they get attacked by this lizard thing. And the bird who always manages to survive uh, because of his his uh, braces ability with the force, he, he gets hit or attacked by the lizard. And he's at a, a total loss of like how he didn't see it coming. And then Markeon's like, kind of reveals like, oh, it worked, as in he had heard rumors that this would happen, but he needed to drag this 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 bird guy down there to see if it, the rumors were true. And by him dying, it kind of confirmed that the force is blocked. I, I didn't realize it was a lizard thing itself that did it, though. I thought it was something in the tunnels, like a oh, no, the, thing. The lizard thing I refer to is from the Thrawn novels. The, this thing is is different completely. It's like, oh, it like an octopus thing, isn't it? It's yeah, like I, yeah, I don't really know. The, the description of it's always kind of a little not too accurate, at least from my memory, but... Um, it's yeah, the lizard that, that I, that it reminded, it reminded me of the lizards that, that Thrawn uses in the heir to the empire trilogy, uh, as a way of, of fighting off Jedi. Right. And this beast was almost no different. It was just a creature being exploited for its potential to affect force users or people with a high midichlorian count. And, uh, this bird creature, uh, I think his name's Din, um, or, or Den or something like that, uh, He's uh, kind of March on Rose test a subject as far as seeing if this beast can actually uh, kill him, right? And and sure enough, it it, it does. Uh, so uh, he's able to use this beast again at the end of the book, which we'll kind of get into in a little, a little bit. Uh, but that was one of the more interesting parts of this novel. Um, Elzar Mann, who is um, one of the uh, main characters, one of the main Jedi in this novel who's also now um, a marshal of the temple on Valo. Uh, he's uh, one of the main dominant characters of this book. I would say that Elzar Man is easily becoming one of the more likable characters of the series. And uh, Well, it's funny because he's basically Anakin. Yeah, he is a little bit. He's kind of being, he's tasting the dark side a little bit. He, he gets to, he uses some aggressive tactics uh, when the, the Nihil strike on Valo. And uh, is worried for himself uh, for tapping into those those dark powers a little bit, and uh, gives into his emotions, right? And uh, so, yeah, he is a bit like a wavering kind of 
soul in a sense. And he's also plagued by these nightmares, these visions of what at the end of the book is uh, confirmed to be this leveler beast um, killing like everybody uh, that he knows. And uh, he's being plagued by visions. So he's kind of got this dual complete, like he's, he's definitely has an Anakin complex about him where he's being mm-hmm. plagued by nightmares and therefore kind of giving into his inner emotions to, to fight the enemy whoever it is. And he's kind of he's losing himself along the way. One of the few Jedi we know to have sex. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with like more than one person. <laughs> so uh, apparently he's got in with uh, Avar Chris and uh another weird um, they talked about that because they were padawans at the time like yeah really young which is like 19 18 yeah i don't know it's i was like huh yeah (laughs) um (laughs) it's the first time do behind closed doors yeah you know it was the first time i was kind of taken by it when i when i read it i was like did that just say what i thought yeah, it said? me too because that's unheard of in star wars lore yeah okay so here it's in chapter 40 it says uh he'd neglected his duties seeking out samira's bed rather than remaining vigilant it wasn't the sex that meant nothing <laughs> it was the realization that he had let everyone down for a moment of pleasure um very odd it's and very it's, anakin though it's it, it, yeah it feels very anakin and uh also doesn't feel like it belongs in a star wars book but you know it is what it is so 50 shades of star wars 50 shades of yeah 50 shades of force <laughs> oh, 50 50 shades of elzar <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> <laughs> honestly i can't hear the name elzar without thinking about futurama <laughs> he's uh like the really high class chef the forearms oh, yeah right yeah right. he's elzar bam elzar <laughs> um so yeah elzar he's one of the more main characters in the book i thought that was kind of cool uh ty yorick also has a bit of a story arc in this in this novel and so, anyone who hears these names and is like i don't know who you're talking about there is concept artwork of every single one of these characters online on starwars.com on the high republic tab uh, and they have in the past on the star wars youtube channel released uh, character profile videos on a weekly basis through the summer uh, so t- a character like Ty York has like a like a one minute or 40 second video and introduces you to like kind of her past and her story kind of thing. So uh, Ty York is like a, a previous kind of like it kind of reminded me of Ventress, like was once trained by a Jedi, but it was also kind of forgotten when she kind of got lost and is kind of doing her own thing now. Mm. She's a saber for hire. Uh, which, yeah, that, that's very Ventressy, actually. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Very Ventressy, except she's not like a dark side person she's just kind of like doing whatever it takes to get money and stay employed and uses her lightsaber and her force abilities to do her the job uh very much after she became a bounty hunter yeah yeah pretty much um so ty york reminds me a a lot of her and ty uh ty york is a ty is a very gender neutral name it is a she um and uh she has a purple lightsaber which is kind of cool and uh, she she joins the Jedi in this fight against the Nihil when they strike on Valo at the Republic Fair, reluctantly at first, but then realizes, oh, it's the right thing to do. And uh, she she joins with a bunch of Padawans. She also makes a very strong connection with Elzar, who kind of convinces her to help. 
And I could see this going in a sense of like Elzar taking her on as a Padawan again. Yeah, I could see that being a in thing the next as book, well. maybe. Yeah, I th- I thought by the end of this book that was going to happen. Yeah, yeah, I did too. So maybe we'll see something develop there in the yeah, future. Yeah, after Elzar uh, gives in to the dark side and like uses it to uh, give himself enough strength, to, like throw that he throws an entire like floating island. Yeah. Uh, he uses he used the dark side to give him strength to do that. Then he immediately regrets it, and he wants Ty to stick around to help keep him in check because he doesn't think he can do it himself. He needs someone else right. there to basically keep an eye on him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But she's probably the worst person to possibly <laughs> do that because she clearly would have done the same thing. So it's like, oh yeah, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, totally. Um. Amongst the battle, it's also worth noting that uh, Stellan Geos, who's a, a Jedi Master, he protects the Chancellor and the other politicians in the attack. And by the end of the attack, he's kind of recognized as a hero through the whole thing because uh, there's a hollow cam footage of him that's taken during the battle of him holding, uh, uh, spoiler again, um, the Chancellor kind of is alluded to be dead at one point and then it turns out she's fine but uh she he's like cradling her kind of limp unconscious body and uh that footage along with him helping uh the politicians and such and as they're like limping down the street or whatever uh, is kind of used as a galaxy-wide picture you know like almost like in the war effort there's like very famous photos of like children standing alone in the street in during world war ii or whatever right and and it's like their their parents are probably dead and they're all alone right so it's kind of like that like it's a promotional thing like the the horrendous thing that just happened the tragedy that just occurred at the republic fair you know demolished by the nihil and you know casualties and losses everywhere thousands of people dead all that stuff and uh that image of stellan is kind of used as like the promotional for that so mm-hmm. um it's worth noting that this might come up in the future again as like a thing he's might be like you know galaxy-wide famous dude going forward so yeah because um, were we introduced to that guy in the previous book yeah we were yeah okay. he, he showed up in the previous book yeah yeah because they it's from elzar's perspective i remember a chapter where they meet up because like the two of them and then Avar Chris are like the trilogy or whatever, like they're three amigos. Yeah. yeah. And he talks about seeing this guy again, and he feel Elzar feels that he's become more of a, a politician than a Jedi. Right. Very right. Count Dooku esque, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, anyone who's looking at the cover of the book, um, I believe uh, Elzar Man is front and center with the crossguard saber. Uh, Ty York is the one on the left, and uh, Bell Zedifar is the one on the right. So just a heads up, if any of you guys are wondering what these characters might look like, that would be Elzar, Ty, and Bell. And uh, Pan and Lorna, uh, like I mentioned, they failed to take control from Mark Yon Uh What I thought was really cool, though, is the secret of the paths is finally revealed to the Nihil. So the secret gets out that they're using uh, a woman uh, for a source of where and how the, the ships in the Nihil fleet can jump in hyperspace routes that that nobody else knows about and uh the, the only part of the secret that isn't revealed to the rest of the nihil is the fact that uh she is a santeca um but 
it is revealed that that's where the paths are coming from. So it's no longer a, a secret because that was Marcion Rose kind of like one and only card up his sleeve. And then when Pan reveals that, he's th he thinks like, oh, the Nihil are mine now. Like I'm going to undermine Marcion and reveal his secret and be like, no, we don't need him anymore because like that's the only card that he has to play. And now we know it's just this old woman. So he's nothing, right? Like the way he doesn't pull the paths out of his head is actually from this woman. All we need is the woman. We can run the the whole organization without him right um and uh <laughs> he just comes in out of nowhere and completely left field pan and i really loved that scene because uh it just makes pan look more incompetent at any time he tries to undermine march on row he just fails miserably and and yeah, he does march it twice. On has yeah and he's got the right words to say and everything and he completely is like yeah, so what? Like, I, I do have this woman who gives me this and that, but then he goes on and makes some, like, other other reasons as to why they they need Marchion or whatever, and he does it so gracefully. Like, and this guy is honestly, like, such a great villain. Like, he's been written so well and collaborated over. Like, you can tell that a lot of time has gone into developing this character more so than a lot of others. No, I agree with that. To be honest, yeah. he's probably the only character I actually really enjoy. <laughs> yeah, Marjorie was very interesting. Yeah. And through the course of the book, uh, it's also worth mentioning at the very end of the last book, um, uh, a Jedi, uh, uh, Loden Greatstorm, which is Bell's master. Uh, is taken captive by Marjorie Rowe and his yellow lightsaber is is held by Marjorie through pretty much 90% of the book. And, uh, and uh, st uh, Great Storm is still in captive and being tortured and, ex you know, experimented on or whatever else um, up right up until the end. Um, so I'll just finish out these two last little points here and then we can kind of get into the ending of the book, I guess, if you want. Uh, Bell, uh, they stage a bit of a rescue mission once they find out he's alive and Bell uh, helps recover Loden Great Storm. But then in the process of escaping... Uh, the location that they're in, which is a, a Nihil kind of ship or whatever. Uh, Marchionro unleashes the leveler and Bell witnesses the leveler kill Load and Greatstorm, his master. And basically what happens is, uh, is uh, this creature is able to turn Load and Greatstorm into a stone-like figure. And then he basically dissolves into nothing, like into ash. So it's a very weird way of, it's like a natural ability, I guess, for him to, first he gets rendered as like a vegetable and like freezes and then he turns to stone and then he just dissolves. So it's like a really weird like thing. And apparently it only works on force users, which is why Marjan Rose seeked this beast out earlier on in the book. And he manages to kill Loden Greatstorm with this figure at the very end. And, um, that's tragic, tragic moment. So it's strange. It's very similar to like Greek mythology. Greek. Oh, like with the Kraken or or something like that. It's the what's the name? Or uh, Medusa. 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 Maybe? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah the sorry. One. Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah. look at it. You turned a stone to a stone. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's kind of the same idea, but I guess. Yeah, only through reverberations you, and the force or whatever. Yeah. I wonder if it's only if you use the force or if you have it. Because it could think, be like if you, you can't use the force when you're around it. I yeah, I don't really know. Um 
Uh, it's also worth mentioning beyond the fact that now the enemy has this beast, which um, points at the very last sentence of the book. I think it's from Stellan Geos's point of view. And for the first time since childhood, it says he was scared after seeing what he sees, right? Um, and the Niles become a really big threat at this point. And, and this entire book is kind of like the Empire Strikes Back of, of the High Republic so far. It's like the enemies kind of stepped it up a notch, right? Mm. And uh, so not only do they have this beast, the leveler, um, but Martian Ro also now possesses a, a gadget or a weapon that was introduced uh, at the Republic Fair by someone who uh, had intentions to sell it to the Nihil. And it's a device that actually, it's almost like acts like an EMP. It disables electrified weapons. So it can essentially turn off lightsabers within a radius of a, uh, of a well, of a small radius. But um, any Jedi who has a lightsaber out, just boom, like blade is gone. And, and yeah, I remember Marcio that thing. Yeah. now has this too. So not only can he turn off Jedi's lightsabers, but now he's also got a beast that kills them if they even have the force, I guess, which is pretty nuts. Like that's the two positive things that even make a Jedi a Jedi, right? <laughs> so no, it's uh, true. That and a good yeah. moral compass. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what to think of it all, though. To be honest, because I'm kind of in agreement with what Dave Filoni said when he was talking about the stuff from the Thrawn books, and he mentions the lizards that block the Force. Yeah, and he says like the book has lots of good things that they really like, so they wanted to pull out of that. From I think it was talking about Rebels at the time. Yeah, like, but then there's also stuff like the lizards that block the Force, and like that's. He's like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of out there. Yeah, he's basically saying like that's that's becoming too fantasy, I guess, or too yeah, yeah. It doesn't feel like George Lucas Star Wars. It starts to feel right. like a like a fantasy game. Yeah, and and so this creature being being what it is, I guess, um, maybe has an ability to sniff out and target uh, force users. Now, this is where midichlorians kind of play a big part into what makes a force user a force user because it's the gateway to having that those abilities ever present and unlocked kind of thing for them, right? And uh, because it's a biological thing, I could see this creature being able to sniff that out, right? Like a mosquito sniffs out blood. Um, I could imagine wow. this it's creature being able to target... Mosquitoes sniff out CO2 because CO2 is put out by mammals that have blood. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Uh, so I could see I could see uh, this creature being something similar, right? Like it, it just knows what, uh, where to find a, a powerful force user, right? And maybe it's just ignorant to anyone else, uh, which is what makes it the perfect Jedi killing weapon, or at least what's it what it's referred to, right? Um, I don't really know. It's it's only happens twice in the whole books, and and not a lot of details around the event. But um, I can, I don't know. My imagination points to some sort of like mental force reverb thing that happens, and then they just kind of like, I don't know how or what turns them to ash. But um, it's it's interesting. It's kind of it's it's kind of uh, you know I'm kind of keen to know a bit more about how this works. I don't think they'll ever reveal it. <laughs> I think yeah. it's going to be left as a thing that happens and that's it. 
Right. I find it really funny, though, that they wiped the EU to get rid of all the weird stuff that's really out there. Now they're just re-putting it in again. Exactly. That's exactly (laughs) it. It's like we're right where we were. I think that's kind of funny, too. Um, There's some fun facts that I found through the course of the novel. Um, They confirmed... So, Tython, they recently canonized in The Mandalorian. Uh, thank the heavens <laughs> or, or thank Dave, I guess. Uh, but in this book, they also canonized the fact that one of the moons of Tython is named Ashla, which is uh, also the name of the uh, the force, the light side of the force. I guess it's like a an ancient name for that for that. Um, also, the planet Valo that the Republic Fair takes place on was uh, originally from the West End Games uh rpg game which is kind of interesting it's from one of the one of the dlc books i guess which is pretty cool uh, i do vaguely recognize the names so that must be where it's from Valo, yeah yeah uh in the i don't know if you've been keeping up with the comics uh, i've been kind of reading them slowly as they've come out every month and a half or whatever it's been it's been a very slow burner um, but, uh, at some point in the Marvel comics, um, Avar Chris on one of the planets, cause, uh, the reason why she's missing from this novel primarily, as well as a couple other characters from the first book is because they're off dealing with the, the Drengear, which has been an ever present other villain in this story, right? Now this book really focuses in on the Nihil, but the Drengear, as we know from the last book that we read with, uh, Reef, Silas and the other characters that stumble upon that space station, kind of awaken these plant-like monsters. And uh, Avar Chris is dealing with that on the front lines of wherever she is. And she's making an, a, an alliance with the Huts at this point in time to help fight off these Drangir in that region of space. Um, so it's actually mentioned in this book that this Hut alliance um, has happened and it's being dealt with and being discussed because obviously it's a big deal. Um, that could been. be what leads into the fact that in the prequel trilogy, there's hot space, which is unmaintained. It's odd that yeah. the Republic never pushes in. It takes over that territory and brings in law, whereas right. they just kind of leave it. So maybe that's part of the deal they're working out here to explain that. Yeah. No, it's a great point. Yeah. And and hot space is kind of in the mid to outer rim anyways. So like even though the Republic is a lot, like it's very much pushed back by planets like Tatooine and and this and that, which exists in, in hot space, but um, at least I think Tatooine's in hot space. But uh, it's it's one of those things where it's like in the Clone Wars movie, which we all remember to be a very disappointing entry point to that series as much as I love it. Um, the plot was actually uh, let's save Jabba's son so that the Republic is granted access to the hot space lanes. And... Um, it's like, why doesn't the Republic just go in? It's not like the, Rep- the huts have like fleets of ships like that they would be able to do anything about it anyways. But there is this weird kind of respect border that it's like, oh, that's hut space. This is Republic space. Like, we're not going to really interfere with you if you don't want to be part of us. And it, it's weird because the Republic is kind of like the UN. Yeah. But there's it's like the UN isn't allowed to fly over Russia. Right. It's yeah. Kind of, it's like, it's a, like, yeah, it's a weird dynamic. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Cause it'd be different. If it was country to country, but if you have this overarching, like UN style, uh, controlling government and they don't mm-hmm. have access to a certain specific, even though they technically have significantly more power to just, you'd think that you'll just go through and not can do anything about it. 
Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. I, I don't know. That was never really explained. Maybe this is the reason. Yeah, it's a great point. Yeah, for sure. Um, you should the point out with the bringing up the the Drengar, Drengar, Drengir. There we yeah. go. They allude to the fact that the Nihil know how to plant or uh, seed the Drengir. Yes, yes. Um, so at some point in the, I think it's at the Republic Fair, right? It's mentioned that uh, one of the one of the Padawans or something, I think, sees this. And they see the Nihil planting seeds, which appear to be like sporing Drengear plants, and they're planting them on Valo. Um, so it's almost like the Nihil have found a way to spread the Drengear uh, to other planets and let the Drengear just take over because they know just how deadly they are. So they're almost like, let's just screw this planet over. Boom, here's some Drengear seeds, and then let's just you know, hitch a ride and run kind of thing. Let the Drengear have this planet and kill a bunch of people and stuff. Just adds more chaos, right? Because they want yeah. the the Republic and the, the the Jedi, very similar to the beginning of Attack of the Clones. This conversation exists in this book and that movie where uh, the Jedi are, are not uh, an army and they don't have an army. The Republic is not really militarized. And in this book, the conversation of a Republic defense force comes up a lot. And it's an ever-present discussion that they're trying to have uh, in order to fight off the Nihil and the, the Drengear and all this and that. Because right now, all that exists is just the Jedi. And there's not enough for the entire galaxy. And they're and dealing with forces. the Nihil. Right. And local forces. Right. And and so that's kind of why this Hut alliance is so crucial. Because the Jedi need allies. And the Huts have resources to fight in their territory. And... If the Jedi don't fight in that territory, there's a lot of innocent people in that territory, which obviously they care about. Plus the initiative to expand to the Outer Rim, the Jedi seek the Hutt's help to help defend their territory as a way of being like, look, you don't want them taking over your space. We don't want them taking over your space and killing a bunch of people. Let's work together and fight these, these things, right? Um, and they're also spread thin, not to mention all the politics and stuff with the Republic Fair. There's a lot of stuff going on. So uh, the Nihil are kind of taking advantage of this. And, and so I thought it was really interesting that they are planting these seeds because they're like, they're aware of the fact that they're spread thin and they're like, let's just add more to the mix, you know? Uh, let's just the strongest advantage, right? So they got to press <laughs> yeah. that because they're yeah, outnumbered yeah. significantly. Right. They're on the offensive. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And their only option is guerrilla tactics. Yeah. Um, I thought what was really cool is uh, we got the Togrutas showing up in this book and uh, conversations there with um, them having a bit of a rickety, uh, a, ro a rocky past with the Republic. I don't know where that history is as far as prior to the High Republic or where they're pulling that from, but apparently that's the state that things are in. Uh, and they do show up to Republic Fair and uh, that alliance seems to be getting a little stronger. So it looks like they're kind of integrating the Togrutas into the Republic at this point in time. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, a Togruta is the same species as Shakti or Ahsoka Tano. Uh, it's that alien species. And a uh, bit of a fun fact in this book that their mantrails offer an echolocation ability, which I didn't realize that that's what those were for, but apparently they are. Um, so yeah, I thought that was cool. Like they, uh, we got a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, chapters where the the leader of 
the or the chief, I guess, of the Togrutas was she's a lead huntress. Lead huntress, thanks. Yeah, um, yes. Yeah, so uh, she showed up a lot in the story and was there for the attack on on the Republic Fair and all that stuff. So that that was pretty neat. Yeah, it was interesting, kind of looking into their culture a bit because we don't see them too often. I think the only time we really saw them was Clone Wars when they're rescued from the slavers. Yeah, that's right. Um, they they had very uh, very little appearances as far as a people goes in the Clone Wars, um, and let alone in Star Wars in general, it's not like they're the most common alien species to see. Uh, definitely nowhere near the commonality of seeing uh, a, a Twi'lek or, or you know, someone of a, a general alien species that, that are kind of common. But I thought it was cool that, that they thought of bringing that conversation in because as far as an expanding galaxy goes, it's almost like they looked for planets that may have not necessarily been in the Republic very long and then decided to add that to the conversation. Uh, and it just makes the Republic fair a little more interesting because I remember us cracking some jokes about that being the plot line for this book or this this next wave of stories. And I'm like, okay, what the heck? Like, you know, what could be so interesting about that? But there is some interesting things and it's not like it's a dead conversation. It's like, I, I do like the fact that they're that they're getting into that subject material. Not that I want to linger on it, but it's it at least add some flavor. So speaking of flavor, I was disappointed that this was a big fair event and there was no pie eating contests. <laughs> Not a thing I'm they sure. do. County fairs. I'm I'm sure at some point in the uh in the in the in the fair there was probably uh you know a pie or a hot dog eating contest or something yeah yeah something like that yeah <laughs> i feel like they should have had elzar man show up and he had a challenge like the the top eater of the pie eating contest <laughs> should have been a whole chapter should have been a featured moment right there yeah exactly um I, I thought this was uh, kind of an interesting thing as well. Um, the Race to Crash Point Tower novel that also came out, which uh, is the the sidelining storyline to the Republic Fair ordeal um, in the junior novel, uh, that takes place at the same time as this chaos is happening on Valo and is a featured side storyline in some of the chapters with some of the characters that do show up. There was a character named Ram... Uh, <laughs> He had a stupid name. It was like, um, is that Ram Jam? Ram, thank, thank you, man. Ram Ram Jor, Ram Jamaram. That's his oh name. My Ram gosh. Ram Jamaram. Yeah, I can't believe so I was half right. <laughs> he was a Jedi Padawan, and uh, he's the one who discovers the Nile trying to sabotage the Valos communications. And in this book, the, the communications just go down. Um, but in the race to Crash Point Tower. Uh, that's his story in this book. And he does show in this book up in, as well. So it's almost like when that book is complete, that's when he shows back up in this novel. So mm -hmm. I thought that was worth mentioning that these books kind of take place simultaneously. Does that mean just like with the movies, you're going to reread these books and switch to the other book at the right time and then switch back? No. <laughs> I did that with Clone Wars finale and, and I'm stopping there. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, 
Out of the Shadows is the third novel, the uh, young adult novel that takes place in this same time frame. I don't know the details on whether it overlaps with this story or not, but um, just in case anyone's like, what else is going on right now? uh, It would be that story as well as the ongoing Marvel comic story. Um, There's also some, uh, some interesting... Some interesting things I found, uh, I, I was looking at StarWars.com and I thought this was kind of worth going through with you. Um, and uh, then we can kind of wrap up the conversation on this. Uh, so six uh, six answers the rising uh, storm delivers and seven questions it raises. That's what the article's called. So number one, Chancellor Lena So's Targons, which are those big lion beasts that, uh, mm-hmm. that she yeah. has next to her, yeah, her pets. they know how to kick butt. We saw some action with those in battle, which was pretty sweet. Um, brought up the uh, Torguta Mo- uh, Montreal thing. Interesting relationship with the Republic. Already talked about that. The Jedi do, in fact, form attachments. We already went over that. Elzar Man's deep connection with Avar Chris. Um, and... Uh, Ember is the best co-pilot since Chewbacca. Uh, Ember is... Bell's pet remember? dog. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the he nine just growls. Don't... It growls through the whole book, and he's just talking to it. He's like, no, girl, you got to get out there. You got to help that kid. He's, truck, he's, he's stuck in the well. He's like... And yes, the audiobook has actual noises. Are you serious? Yeah, it does. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's kind of uh, like Lassie. <laughs> the Nihil don't waste any time when it comes to filling job vacancies. So, yeah, the last book saw the destruction of Cassive, one of the three Tempest Runners. And uh, his spot was uh, filled by a new one called Zetar. And he wasn't really showing up too much in this book. He wasn't really a featured character. But um, I thought it was neat, though, what they talked about him. Was he, he's kind of a techie. So he like built himself yeah. a power suit. He has like a mech suit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I guess, uh, I, yeah, maybe we'll see a little more of him in the future. Though at the beginning of the book, it was him, Pan, and the Twi'lek lady. I forget her right. name. But they yeah. were kind of Lorna. all like Lorna, Lorna, D. Yeah. Lorna D. That's right. They were yeah. kind of butting heads for like top dog. Yeah. And then towards the end, um, tech guy he kind of bowed out letting pan kind of become head honcho i think right. lorna kind of did too but she seems kind of sneaky i think she's gonna make a move again later oh yeah and speaking of lorna uh if you find her an interesting character uh, a fourth story and the last one that's worth mentioning um that takes place or sorry fifth i guess um after the marvel comics and out of the shadows and race to crash one tower uh, is an audio drama. It's the third exclusive audio drama in the Star Wars license. And it's called Tempest Runner. And it's all about Lorna D's kind of the featured characters. That just came out like a week ago, I think it was. So that's on Audible right now for anyone who's interested in learning a little more about the Nihil and Tempest Runners and uh, possibly the character of, of Lorna D. Um, and the sixth thing that we discovered from this article at least, is uh, Marchion Row after the leveler, all that stuff. That leaves us seven questions. What is the leveler? All right. Um, it's a scary, beastly thing. Devastating consequences. Um, apparently, Kevin Scott is very tight-lipped about any further details. That explains a lot as to why we didn't get too many 
things as to what this Jedi killing nightmare is all about in this book. But uh, curious about again, curious. It could be it could be a terrible a terrible thing to Star Wars, uh, <laughs> or yeah. it could be kind of neat. Uh, you know, you never know, right? So. Um, one of the subplots was that lightsaber disabling machine. What do you what do you think? Okay, so aside from the beast, what do you what are your thoughts on the lightsaber disabling machine? To me, that's more practical than the beast. I think the machine could just put out like a certain like magnetic energy that would just disrupt how lightsabers function. So, because it's not affecting the force in any way, right? It would be because yeah. we know that lightsabers are created through a magnetic field so this it's just disrupting that magnetic field to me that's not that outrageous right uh what the range could be and the other question of if this has been discovered what happened to the technology by the time we get to the movies <laughs> yeah no it's it's true yeah uh this might be what pushes lightsaber technology forward which is why they look different in 200 years so yeah who knows um what about Mari Santeca? That's the woman who's providing the, who's hooked up to that machine that Marcia and Rose exploiting for the paths, you know, the hyperspace lanes and stuff. Which character um, did she talk to through the force? Uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember. I, I, I totally forget. Was it, was it Stellan Geos? Uh, no. Uh, I don't know. I totally forget. Uh, I but we either. first, we, so we first met her in the last book. And she's referenced a few times in this book, but she's not really featured as a character. Oh, it's the guy who's captured. Yeah. Oh, oh, loading Great Storm. Great Storm. That's what I almost said. Storm yeah. Rage. Yeah, Storm he's franchise. talking to he's talking to somebody. Yeah. Was it her? Is it her or is it somebody else? Yeah. Yeah. So she starts talking to him through the Force, uh, and I think she she basically offers some words of encouragement because he's still imprisoned at the time. Oh, okay. All right. I didn't realize that was her. That's that's uh, interesting. Um, so now that some of the Nihil know that Marchion is in fact the gatekeeper of the paths, um, this Mari Santeca is likely to play a pivotal role in the future of the stories. And as we know, hyperspace will change forever after this storyline. So um, it could be that, you know, the Santecas are responsible for having a computer that just calculates your hyperspace routes and boom, you know, uh, is pan Eta dead? Uh, we last saw him escaping off to his home planet, uh, at when the battle was wrapping up and the Nihil were losing. So I don't think he's dead, but he was in an escape pod and just shot off and disappeared. So right. what are your thoughts and on that one? That's a good question. Cause he was already kind of dead dying anyway. He, yeah. He was like coughing up blood and stuff and he knew that he was yeah. dying. So, so what, what happened if you recall was well, he had two attempts to, to kill and overthrow Markion. Yeah. And the first time Markion takes off his helmet and gives it to him and it, it electrocutes him, but he manages to crush the helmet and save himself before he's electrocuted to death. And the second time, he goes to attack Markion, and Markion pulls out a lightsaber. And when Pan goes to block the lightsaber, Markion stabs him with like uh, a needle and like injects him with something, like a toxin. Yeah, yeah. And Lor Lorna saves him with an Lorna, anti anti toxin. Yeah, exactly. But after that, he starts coughing up blood and stuff. So instead of being killed, he now has uh, some sort of like 
toxic illness. Yeah, or or he just always had that, and he just knew that think so. knows that he's. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows, right? Like all we know is he's dying, and uh, and he's got a. He thought that he could at least screw March on over, but I guess that didn't work out. So it's interesting to think. I don't know what we're gonna see with him. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a, a desperate guy like that on his last days is one of the most dangerous types of characters I think ever <laughs> so because he's willing to go to you know ends meet to do whatever right yeah. so it's like uh, a wild animal wild animal trapped in a corner he's got nothing to lose yeah so so I um I, I thought uh, when I was reading his last chapter that he was in it was kind of funny because he was contemplating on going home which is where it says no one in the night hill would look for him there anyways um, but then he had thoughts of like, oh, he wonders if his family's still there. It would bring, bring him great pleasure to kill them all. And I was like, what kind of a twisted like dude is this? Like wanting to go home only to kill his family? Like, Well, he talked about his backstory a bit and his family like abandoned him in like the wilderness or whatever. And he had to like oh, eat. Oh, jeez. He, like, twisted. He was like yeah. attacked by a tiger or something. And then he had to eat like cave slugs back to health. And then he went back and hunted down the tiger that attacked him. Something like that. <laughs> He also had a bit of a love thing going on with Lorna D, but um, he kind of feels betrayed at the very end of his storyline in this book because he realizes that she's kind of screwed him over in the process of trying to undermine Marchion on herself as well. So um, all that business. Uh, and uh, number five, how will the Republic recover from the Republic fair disaster? My thoughts in this is that we're gonna see that republic defense force thing come into play now in the third book i think like whenever the third wave comes out for phase one of the high republic the defense force thing is gonna happen like we're gonna have some republic military you know approved i guess it's interesting though because wasn't that such a big deal in the prequel so that republic had never had a military uh they haven't said that they just said that they just said that the Jedi weren't enough to fight and, and they don't have a military by the time of the prequels. But, you know, one wonders as to why that is. I mean, if galaxy wide, there's been peace for a thousand years, right? There's no Sith trying to take over the galaxy and all that. The Nihil aren't exactly taking over the galaxy and Marchion Rose has been kind of expressive about that. He knows that that's just impractical to, to, to even do right like they're not out to control the the galaxy they're out to just mess up the jedi and like screw over the republic and let them know that the outer rim is their territory and that's all they want right like that they're they're out to kind of wage war on them but not necessarily do it in a sense that they're going to get themselves completely killed off Um, they don't want to take over they just want to carve out an area for themselves exactly yeah whereas in the clone wars and stuff you know it's a huge thing that half the galaxy is on the other side of a political fence so um you know then it's like well they've got mass amounts of droid armies like we need a we need an army right so at this point in time it's a bit of a different conversation because they're looking at like oh there's going to be an attack on this planet or that planet and that's all there is going to happen. But, you know, do we have enough Jedi to, t- to handle that? That wouldn't even be a topic in the prequels, right? Like Geonosis happens once and clearly the clones are needed to, to even 
have a victory because the Jedi are nearly all killed off in that first that 20 minutes of the Geonosis in battle, right? Before the Yoda shows up with all the clones and stuff. Yeah, they're being surrounded. And so clearly the Jedi aren't enough for an, an actual army. But Full the Nihil, war. yeah, the Nihil, as deadly as they are, it's still on the verge of being manageable. But the Jedi are kind of spread thin. And especially after this event where they did what they did, it's like, okay, I think the Jedi need some help because this is obviously a lot to do. There's also right? that one senator, though, who wants the Republic to be able to defend itself and not rely on the yeah. Jedi. Right. Yeah. There's some support for, for you know, military defense force. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, how are they going to recover? I feel like it was introduced as a reason for it to show up. So it probably will happen. The military, that is. Um. As far as recovery, I feel like they probably won't have another World Fair for a while. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel your thoughts there. <laughs> um, how will Elzar deal with his brush with the dark side? Are we going to have him be one of the lost Jedi that ends up with a statue in the in the great library? Or, or are we looking at just uh, an, Ezra, an Ezra kind of situation where it's like he's got his brush but that's all it's ever going to be as much as i'd like him to become a dark side user for interesting story purposes i feel like it's going to be an ezra story yeah i feel yeah i I feel that too i think it's going to be something that just makes his character what it is and he just struggles with that uh i think we're for sure gonna get ty yorick joining him up as a padawan or even just a partner um in you know just in working with the Jedi maybe as like a a co-conspirator sort of thing, an ally. Uh, I could see that happening very likely, them working together a lot in the future, especially after this force connection thing. So Yeah, I think they're definitely gonna become like a master apprentice situation at some point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and the last thing is, will Kitrep So and John Lauren be able to make a long distance relationship work? The endearing Ooh. side story, yeah, the endearing side Kit story Fisto? of Chancellor, <laughs> the endearing side story of Chancellor So's son Kip and his budding romance with Valen Mayer Nas Lauren's son John was a touching ray of hope during the grim happenings of the Republic Fair. With Starlight Beacon making galactic communications a bit easier, we can hope that these two make it work. I have no opinions on this, and I didn't even... I, maybe my mind just skipped over this part in the book. It was not important to me at all. But, what was their um, name? Uh, Will Kitrep's... Uh, or sorry. <laughs> Kitrep So is the name of the Chancellor's son. And oh. John, John Lauren... Uh, let me sorry. Let me just look up this name again. At first, uh, I was picturing that side story with you know the Dennis, the guy who was like trapped under the rocks that Bell oh, had to help. Oh, like, yeah, I like know. Yeah, Dennis, and then that like the damsel woman. <laughs> yeah, That's what I, I, I talking about. <laughs> right. No, this is something else. Um, G- Jim was such a small part in this book that there is no Wikipedia page for him set up yet. I guess so. Uh, we're gonna skip over that one but if anyone out there has already read this book and be listening to us you know let us know your thoughts on that question um and that is six answers and seven questions from the rising storm is there anything last minute that you want to bring up that you thought was really interesting i just want to say that i feel like 
the Jedi are really boring this franchise <laughs> but, but I really like the Nihil so I'd rather just read books about the Nihil <laughs> right so then like, Tempest Runner the Tempest Runner audiobook is kind of it's going to be more interesting to you I think yes it's worth checking out I know there's a young reader book that we reviewed a while back that Light, was, of the Je- Light of the Jedi or, or Into the Dark Into the Dark or, I think. sorry Into the Dark or the I think it was into the dark because it started off a, te- about a the- test of courage. That was the other one. Okay, that was the, a test of courage was the was the light whip one. Uh, that, that was the one. junior. No, yeah, it's that, that was one. the junior one. Okay, because it started off the first handful of chapters about the Nihil character. So I thought, oh, cool, this book's actually going to be about this character. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then it switched and never went back. So I got right. kind of annoyed by that. Yeah, it's true. Um, Tempest Runner, then definitely yeah. for you. I should honestly, they're the most interesting part of this era because they're essentially, if you like Mad Max, they're basically the like the groups of raiders from Mad Max, which is yeah, such an awesome like sign of character. They're kind of like Vikings in a post-apocalyptic world. You can kind of think of them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so this. Uh, Yes, this story is mostly about Lorna D and uh, her, I guess, her story of being captured by the Jedi and such. And uh, there's a publisher summary on the Wikipedia page, but uh, it's 360 minutes, also written by Captain Scott, which is the author of this novel. So plays into this story very well. Um, and I now understand why she was one of the featured characters of this book because they knew that she was going to get her own tale. So um, we'll see what happens there. Uh, there's uh, The High Republic is kind of a vast story as far as uh, phases and waves and all this content that's been coming out. So if anyone ever, if anyone watched the announcement for this um, and just as a refresher, the High Republic is going to be a multi-year initiative, which will lead up to Disney Plus's The Acolyte, which takes place at the end of the High Republic era, about 50-something to 70-something years before The Phantom Menace. It's something like that. Um, the first phase is called Light of the Jedi. Second phase is called Quest of the Jedi. And the third phase is called Trials of the Jedi. Each phase has up to three waves in the phase. So the first phase had wave one, which contained the Light of the Jedi book, uh, uh, Into the Dark, and A Test of Courage. Um, The second wave of phase one is now The Rising Storm, Tempest Runner, Out of the Shadows, and Race to Crashmore Tower. We will be getting a third wave Mind you, the Marvel comics kind of weave in and out of all this stuff. Uh, Third wave comes out, I think, in December slash January. And then phase two will come out kind of next year in spring slash summer. And uh, again, there'll be multi-waves for for those as well. This is kind of supposed to go for like three years. Like the end of the High Republic is going to be like three and a half years away. So That's a lot of books. Yes, it's a lot of books. It's a lot of 
comics. It's a lot of everything with this High Republic label. So this label is not going away anytime soon. And and hence the reason why we've just, you know, as a podcast, I guess, just focused in on getting familiar with this era. And, you know, it's not to say that we're going to, if there's going to be that much stuff, we might not review absolutely every book or anything. But uh, it so far, at least the ones that we have read and have reviewed, it's been nice to kind of understand what this is all about because this is a whole new era that we've never seen before in the franchise and you know to be able to talk about it and understand what's going on at least in this point in time is good to know right as as a hardcore star wars fan goes you know it's it's always good to know that stuff so um yeah I, i'm curious though like from the timeline of the first book to the disney plus show in universe what's that gap of time have they announced that yeah so uh the higher public takes place close to 200 years before the phantom menace and uh i think it's 200 years and uh the acolyte is about 50 so so the high republic is about a hundred and so odd to 150 years worth of time that's disappointing Um, to me because that means because let's be honest the Nihil is not going to last 150 years. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Um, uh, yeah, and and here's the other thing about that is uh, we could see all three phases just kind of like the sequels, just jam packed in a small amount of time, which would kind of suck. Like I would like to see the progression. What I really love about how the this is the only trilogy that does this. Uh, the how the prequels did it was it spanned the length of like 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 15 or more years right like like there was gaps of time like between episode one and two there's a solid 10 years and then between two and three there's a solid like three years and then between three and four there's a solid 19 years like there's big gaps of time and in those gaps there's potential for more story so i hope that these three phases uh being the next three and a half so odd years worth of books and stuff don't just get crammed into like five years worth of events like i really hope that like phase one uh stories take place at this point in time and then phase two is going to flash forward like 50 years and characters that we've been familiar with like avar chris or whatever just are gone right they're just dead like of old age or whatever and they're just no longer like it focuses in on another set of characters and you know, we might see some good progression there and then we'll we'll start to meet the masters of Jedi masters that we know from the movies and stuff like that. Like that could be really cool. Uh, and then that'll lead into the Acolyte show, whatever that's going to be about. So I see what you're saying. That's kind of neat. But I also wonder if I'm going to be able to remember that many characters going into the show. <laughs> it, it, it is overwhelming. <laughs> Honestly, a book like this, which uh, being one of the pillar books of this franchise, um, The Rising Storm and The Light of the Jedi focused in on so many characters. And that to me was very overwhelming at times because, uh, you know, when it's a long book and I've got a very short attention span. So if I read one chapter on a day and then I pick it up the next day, I have trouble remembering what I read the day before. So it's unless it was important, if it's not important and it's just kind of a fluff chapter, then I really don't care too much. Half of the beginning half of this book, I I honestly could not tell you what like exactly what happened because it was all just so fluffy. 
until the battle Agreed. stuff and the, the last half was better but the first half i'm like it's, it's just gray <laughs> in my head i'm like i i can't i couldn't tell you <laughs> so yeah um anyway uh did you have any kind of last minute things we're kind of hitting our our, our time here i guess Last minute things to chat about? Anything? I think a good way to sign out is disappointment of no Nihil in the in the show. Because to me that's the coolest villain. So. <laughs> did you uh did you want to give your Pablo points? What is it? <laughs> is it Pablo points? We're going with Pablo points? Is that, I think that's what it is, yeah. As a score as a scoring currency, yeah. Man, so I don't remember what I gave the last one. I might have gave it like a four, maybe even I four think it was four. I think the last one was, half, yeah. was pretty good. This one, I I, I like the Nihil stuff. I don't keep bringing that up. But even, the, it was actually a really small section of this book. But just seeing within their ranks, and I thought of it honestly as Markion because he's a really clever villain. He's kind of, uh, he feels like a villain that could be from a Sherlock Holmes book. Yeah. So, with that being a part of it, but also being a very small section of the book, I'd probably give it, like, at best a two and a half out of five Pablo points. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. Uh, I think between two and a half and three. Uh, on my Goodreads review, I put three stars, but you can't really put half stars. So, I just decided to round up. Um, half the book was good. Like, half the later half, that is. The Republic Fair opens up at chapter 19 and there's a lot of just fluff between that and when the Nihil attack and yeah, it, it's just, it, it just felt really slow in the beginning. And I feel like Light of the Jedi started off with a boom, right? Like it started off with good, exciting, great disaster, everything just like, yeah, no, I agree with know, that. And this one was different. I also thought, I, I think this is the case for the last book. I, probably didn't bring it up but it's becoming more of a problem now is there's just too many characters yeah it, it did come up when we were reviewing the last one it's a lot of characters to digest in a new era which we're very unfamiliar with these characters uh i would honestly i know starwars.com has got like a whole section dedicated to the higher public and everything releasing a free pdf online with just like you know, profile pics of uh, profile pages of just this is this character and a quick write up about them would very much help like a companion PDF or something to the higher public, like a, a guide to these books and stuff. This multimedia thing that's coming out would be so helpful. And if anyone's listening out there who wants to make one of these things and just spread it around, send us the copy because that would be so helpful. Honestly, it would be because if you're just going off names, they kind of like most of them are Jedi, and they kind of yeah. all feel about the same, excluding Elzar. Yeah. So half the time, I don't even know who we're talking about when I was listening yeah. to the book. Like, like Stellan Geos and Loden Great Storm, to me, kind of, aside from the fact that Bell is Loden's Padawan and stuff, they kind of just blend as a similar character in my head somewhere because i'm reading these on pages and not necessarily listening to voices of these characters so to me they're like i'm like oh right he's he was here and knows these people and this guy's the other one and it's yeah. almost like they're doing a game of thrones thing where they're making so many characters they can kill them off and it keep going yeah yeah very much so for sure which might end up happening 
But the problem, this is because I've read the Game of Thrones novels, and this is the same problem where you read about one character for a few chapters, and then you go on to the next chapter and to someone else. And you there's so many characters, but by the time you get back around to the first character, you can't remember what they were doing. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's it's true. And, and you know, when you're watching the show, even it's like it's a it's a show you got to binge otherwise watching it when i was watching it week to week or or however spaced apart the episodes were it's like oh yeah what what happened with him last year in season three <laughs> you know it was like I, I was like living off of the re- the the recaps of like what came before so um uh, speaking of what came before as far as stuff that's currently uh came out as far as wave two of phase one goes there will be a third wave to phase one and uh, January 18th, uh, The Fallen Star will be the sequel to this book and it'll be written by Claudia Gray. It'll continue the main arc of the story and face the Jedi against their greatest threat. The Eye of the Storm will be written by Charles Soule, also the author of Light of the Jedi. Uh, Publish will happen also in January and will reveal the backstory of Marcion Rowe, leader of the Nile. Uh, Charles Rose kind of like the peak author who did the first staple novel in this series. So for him to write the backstory of his villain, it'll be good. Like, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Midnight Horizon will be by Daniel Jose Older, also coming next year, as well as Mission to Disaster, published by Justina Ireland, also coming next year. I can imagine those being the junior and young adult novels. Uh, So that's phase or wave three of phase one, I guess. And that'll be all of phase one and uh yeah so lots of stuff coming looking forward to all of it and uh overall you know two two and a half to three pablo points for for this guy so if anyone's interested in picking that up so 2.75 pablo points (laughs) 2.75 pablo points that's right (laughs) that's right all right all right cool man that was was an extensive review there but i feel like we nailed it so uh you know thanks for coming back on the show as always uh and uh you know in, in the near future we've got a we've got a new setup that we're gonna have going for the show thanks to your generous contribution in this uh this esteemed equipment here that i have next to me on my desk and hey man, uh, it's a team effort you know we're all in this together <laughs> yeah uh exactly so so we're gonna be able to to at some point in the near future host live shows so uh, that being said, it's going to be a bit of a, like, we're going to have to get used to this new setup of equipment and everything, but, uh, hosting live shows could be really cool. Cause it means that we can tape live calls and, and this and that. So anyone listening, share this show with your friends, all that stuff, because that way we can get the word, uh, out there about the title of this podcast and, and kind of grow the audience a little bit. And, uh, that way live shows can actually be a little more interesting. So I'm also uh, uh, probably most excited for the soundboard. Yeah, soundboard's going to be awesome. You know, we're going to be able to control our our effects on the go a lot a lot better. So, so that'll be great. Um, anyway, that's that's it. For, that's it from me. And uh, I guess we'll catch you in the next one. Got a blast. All right, thanks guys for tuning in. And as always, the best way to help us out, honestly, is by sharing the show with a friend. Just tagging a link to our, our, our Podbean site or 
you know, one of the Spotify or whatever, just share it on social media, tag us in the post. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at SW Escape Podcast. Of course, our emails in the description below, SWEscapePodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to drop a voicemail. And even if you send a voice memo into our email, that's great too. We'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, emails are always welcome. Any recommendations, subjects to cover, hot tips on stories, anything like that. Uh, we'd love to hear about it. So let us know your thoughts. And uh, we do have, like I mentioned earlier, uh, we have uh, gone on the path to upgrade how the show is done. And uh, in, the, in the process of that, of course, buying new microphones and everything, uh, a bunch of people in my inner circle have all bonded together and gifted me uh, the Rodecaster Pro, uh, Blake being one of those people. So it's a really, a really exciting time. And in a month from now, we're going to be able to host live shows and all that stuff. So uh, spread the word about this podcast because uh, it's going to get a whole lot better and uh, it's going to sound a whole lot greater. So looking forward to that. One book I forgot to mention from the wave two of phase one of the high republic is actually called the edge of balance recently came out about four or five days ago and is uh, the first volume of a manga series so be sure to check that out as well among the other recommendations from the high republic we'll see you guys in the next episode and may the force be with you